Well, today, all of our Sojourn congregations throughout the city of Houston are beginning an annual shared sermon series we call Life Together. This year, we are taking three weeks to cover five key values that we share as a multi-congregational church. We're going to cover two of those values today, family and local ministry. But before we jump into that, let me, let me explain what we mean when we say multi-congregational church. In short, Sojourn Houston is one church made up of multiple congregations. Sojourn Heights, Sojourn Montrose, Sojourn Galleria, Sojourn Spring Branch, and Sojourn Oak Forest. And we have put our hands in the middle to pursue visible and meaningful unity for a few primary purposes. Number one, we are not satisfied with merely affiliating with other congregations. We think the church should be visibly united, structurally united. That's our hope for the entire church in Houston and around the world. And so we are organizing ourselves in accordance with that. Number two, we believe church planting is essential to the Great Commission. It's how the Spirit establishes a lasting kingdom presence in a place. And we can plant new churches more effectively when we pool our resources and work together. And number three, as neighborhood-specific congregations, we have a unique ability, I think, to work towards the unification and reconciliation of a highly segregated city like Houston. By simultaneously pursuing intensely local church planting and citywide unity and, and oneness, we believe that we can do our part to demonstrate a better way forward for the city of Houston. Okay, with that said, let's turn to Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So here we have the theological basis for the church's identity as a family in Christ. This is where we derive our first shared value, which is family. Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. Now, his point is not that Jesus erases all distinctions. There are Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, Christian women and Christian men, American Christians and Nigerian Christians. Paul is not trying to erase those distinctions. He is saying that by virtue of our baptisms, by virtue of our being together in Christ, we are one. Because we belong to Jesus, because we are in him, We are united to one another. And he goes on in verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. All who belong to Jesus are children and heirs of Abraham. All who belong to Jesus have received the promise God gave to Abraham. 
And we could go into further details of, about that promise, but for today, the primary takeaway from that promise is that Christ is uniting all the world into one family, just as God promised to Abraham in the book of Genesis, which we just read, Genesis chapter 17. Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, Americans, and Nigerians. We are and we are becoming one family in Christ. Paul expounds upon this in chapter 4. Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, when Paul says that we are sons, he is talking to all of us, male and female. And I I realize that's not a very popular thing to do these days, but this is actually very important for us to understand. Because the concept of sonship is a theme that we can trace all throughout the entire Bible. In Genesis 3, God tells the serpent that he will be crushed by the offspring of Eve. And in the very next line, the plural word for offspring changes to a singular and masculine he. Meaning, God tells the serpent that he will be crushed by a son of the woman. And we can, we can see this theme playing itself out in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh is a serpent figure. He is trying to destroy the sons of Israel. But a group of women, the daughters of Eve, take action to preserve the sons of Israel. In the Passover, God requires the firstborn sons of Egypt. And God draws out the people of Israel, calling them his firstborn son. In the book of Leviticus, the people of Israel are commanded to sacrifice a son of the herd. That's the literal rendering of the Hebrew, son of the herd. So the animal sacrifices are stand-ins for the sons of Israel. We could go on and on, but, but the point is this. When, when the New Testament calls us sons, that word has a rich biblical history. Jesus comes as the son of Eve to crush the serpent in fulfillment of Genesis 3. Jesus comes as God's firstborn son in fulfillment of the Exodus and the entire nation of Israel. Jesus comes as the son of the herd, so to speak, in fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. Jesus is the son of God who graciously shares his identity with all who trust in him. Which means that he graciously shares his entire inheritance with all who trust in him. Jesus has paved the way for our adoption as sons. We are filled with the same spirit as Jesus. And so we pray to God the Father with the same words as Jesus. Abba, Father. We share in the same intimate familial relationship. The heavenly father of Jesus, the son, is our heavenly father too. And so, brothers and sisters, we should all want to be sons 
like Jesus is a son, male and female. And listen, this is, this is not a function of the Bible being sexist. This is a function of the Bible being a complex, beautiful work of literature. It makes masterful use of themes and imagery. So to say that we are all sons in Christ is no more sexist than to say that we are all the bride of Christ. The ladies get to be sons and the men get to be part of the bride. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We have all received adoption as sons and because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Again, we are family. We are brothers and sisters, one to another. And we want to give tangible expression to that reality in the way that we organize and participate in community. That's what the neighborhood parish is. That's what it's all about. It's a venue for giving expression to this identity as family in Christ. But we we also want to give expression to this reality in the way that we relate to other congregations. Beginning with Sojourn, we want congregations to be family with one another. Think back to 2 John. Sojourn Oak Forest is the elect lady, but we have elect sisters all over the city. Our church is a family and the church is a family. But again, this this familial oneness is more than merely theological. We believe that we are actually called to give tangible expression to this oneness. In John 17, Jesus prays for our unity, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus wants us to be unified. But he doesn't stop there. That they may all be one, he says, so that, so that the world may believe, the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, the world is supposed to be able to see our unity. It's not enough. It, it's not enough to say, oh, well, yeah, the, the, the church is super divided. But, you know, the Holy Spirit forges a deep unity that transcends our divisions, man. That's true. That's true. He does. But Jesus said he wants the world to be able to see our unity. We want our neighbors to see Christian unity in action when they visit our neighborhood parishes. And we want to multiply our neighborhood parishes so that more and more of our neighbors can catch a glimpse of Christian unity in action. But again, we, we, should, take, we should take that one step further. We should want the world to see Christian unity in action as congregations relate to one another too. To that end, all sojourn congregations have agreed to support one another in accordance with the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Sojourn Oak Forest is committed to doing unto other sojourn congregations as we would have them do to us. We will speak well of them. We will pray for them as we do in our liturgy every week. 
We will give our time to them. We will give our resources to them. We will even send our members to join them. Even when the cost of loving them is uncomfortably high, we're going to do it. That is how our family value will play itself out. And today's other value, which is local ministry, is largely a practical outworking of that value of family. That's, that's why we combine them into one sermon. The sojourn model of ministry is intensely local. We are a family of neighborhood congregations with defined geographies. We are shepherded by local leaders. We are comprised of local congregants. We desire to establish a local presence. We desire to meet local needs, whether spiritual or material. And one of the key ways we measure local ministry is actually by asking that every sojourn congregation try to ordain at least one elder for every 100 congregants. And personally, I hope Sojourn Oak Forest can can have a much better ratio than even that. But the heart behind maintaining that elder-to-congregant ratio is simply that we value local shepherding. We value knowing one another and being known by one another, and that includes our pastors. So the value of family and the, and the value of local ministry, are they're mutually supportive. In pursuing one, the other is enhanced, and, and vice versa. When we really pursue church as family, I think we will tend toward valuing proximity. And when we value proximity, it will make church as family that much easier to accomplish. We don't just want to say that we are family. We want to be proximate with one another. We want to be local with respect to one another. To be family will require that we give of our time. And the amount of time we can give is heavily influenced by how near we are to one another, especially especially in a commuter city like Houston. Statistically, for every 10 minutes we sit in traffic on a daily basis, we have 10% fewer social connections. Now, commuting may be totally necessary for your job. But that's precisely why we don't want you to have to commute as a member of the church. We don't want you having to sit in traffic in order to experience church as family. I I really think this is so important for for the sake of our souls. Commuting is an obstacle we have to acknowledge and overcome in order to live as healthy humans. And another major, major obstacle to human connection is in your pocket right now, um, hopefully on silent mode. Our world is growing ever more digital, ever more disembodied. But the human experience was never meant to be mediated through screens. FaceTime is a technological gift to us. Zoom is a technological gift to us. But we were made for one another. We were made to enjoy the embodied presence of other people. We were made for familial bonds. You know, as as great as Facebook portal may be, grandparents are always going to prefer seeing their grandchildren in person. 
Personal presence cannot be replaced. And so the internet has brought the entire world to our fingertips. And and this has improved our lives in so many ways. But we need to be aware of its negative consequences too. The internet has made us far more knowledgeable. But the cultivation of wisdom is about much more than knowledge. Just Just as quality of life is about more than just material goods. We are wealthier and more comfortable and more knowledgeable than ever, and yet discontentment and anxiety are at all-time highs. Even when we are with one another, we often feel lonely, right? It's as though our devices are making us simultaneously more intelligent and less mature. To quote comedian Jim Gaffigan, this is all McDonald's. The digital world is fast and easy and cheap and convenient, and you can fill yourself with it. But it's not what your body really needs. It's okay to have a Big Mac every once in a while, but you also need to have a balanced and nutritious diet. And that principle is at the heart, it's at the heart behind these two values, family and local ministry. Because for the sake of our souls, we, we cannot afford to neglect the things that we really need. Proper nutrition looks like embodied community and genuine friendship and weekly worship and feasting with family and friends and neighbors. Those are the things that make for a healthy soul in our world right now. God uses each of those things not only to keep our souls healthy, but also to establish and to expand his kingdom in the world. That's why we value those things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we delight to call you Father. We are humbled to be called your sons. Jesus, you are the son. We we thank you for, for paving the way for our adoption, but not just not just our adoption as younger brothers who receive a smaller portion of the inheritance, but as those who are in you, united to you, receiving all of it. Holy Spirit, please continue to deepen our fellowship and and make our unity ever more visible for the sake of our neighborhood, our neighbors, our neighborhood, our city, our world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.